Well, good morning again. Let's do it one more time. Merry Christmas. Oh, good. Much louder than the first time. Thank you. Um, I, I encourage you to say that as often as you can. Go into a store. You can say happy holidays. I'm not one of those ones that I'll get mad if you say that. But I encourage you to say Merry Christmas as much as you can. Um, it, this, this is something that we should not be ashamed of. That this is the, as I talked about last week, right? Pastor Matt going into a store and they didn't even know what the nativity scene was. I'm like, are you crazy? It's Christmas, right? It's not all about Santa, which I'm not anti-Santa. Um, but I love that it's all points to Jesus. And actually, as I said that, I... I love that picture. I don't know if it's a, my mom had it. I don't know if it's just a picture, but my mom actually had a sculpture of Santa Claus taking his hat off, bowing down to the manger, uh, to Jesus. And just that idea that, you know what, I'm, I'm not all about where I hate the commercialism of Christmas. I know how the enemy can try to rob even Christmas. And I'm saying, you know what, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. And so um, I keep saying it. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Um, this morning, uh, I am going to give you a, a message that is connected to the Christmas story. Uh, we left off last week. Uh, we were talking about uh, really leading up to the nativity scene, right? We talked about uh, how the wise guys, I call them wise guys sometimes, uh, wise men, the magi, the uh, they came and they actually, we talked about how they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy before their breakthrough, right? Before they actually saw Jesus, they just saw the star and they got super excited for the promise of what they knew was coming. And so I just encourage you not to re-preach all last Sunday's message, um, but that is partly what we are encouraged to do in this Christmas season, is to be excited to have hope anticipating good things coming towards uh, our future. And so the wise men did that, and they were wise to do that. We would be wise to have joy and hope. And then the shepherds, they encountered Jesus. They saw Jesus, and they had a relationship with Jesus, right, just worshiping him, and they went back to their home. They went back to their workplace, back to their families, and they were filled with joy that they brought into their, uh, the rest of their lives. And so that's what we're called to do in this Christmas season is to receive all the good things from God. He is a giver of every good and perfect gift. And as we receive those gifts, we go and share those, right? We bring that with us everywhere we go. So we talked about that. The wise men had showed up. And so we are going to continue. Before I tell you where we're going and what we're going to do, um, I will let you know the title of this morning's message is Connected to a Christmas Carol. And I heard the ladies had a great tea yesterday, and they talked about some Christmas carols um, and highlighted some different ones. Uh, let's see if you know this one. I have to look at it again. Um, said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? No, okay, we'll do it again. This is how the song goes. Maybe if I sing it, right? Said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? Oh, there we go. There we go. I'll do it one more time. Way up in the sky, little lamb, do you see what I see? All right, good. So you got the title this morning's message. Um, do you see what I see? And we're going to look at the Christmas story. You can turn to Matthew chapter 2 and uh, verse 13. You can bring a Bible if you have a physical Bible or one in the pew in front of you or an app on your phone. I will have it available up here as well. Um, but I just want us to look at the Christmas story. We're going to read uh, about 10 verses. Um, and then we're going to see maybe something I'm praying that we're going to see something maybe we didn't see before. I've read this Christmas story hundreds of times. And um, I always want to approach when I read God's word. Holy Spirit, show me something new. 
I know I went to Bible college. I know I've read the Bible front to back multiple times, but there's still more of who you are. And I love that his word is living. It's alive. And I want to see something. So would you join me before we read God's word, that would you join me in praying that we would have eyes to see something new and fresh that God wants to tell us this morning? So would you join? Actually, can I ask you to do this? I'm not making you, but I'm going to invite you. Can you, like Mary, she said, let it be done to me according to your word, Right? So let's have that same attitude as we pray. Would you put your hands out just in a posture of receiving? And we're going to pray, Lord, let it be done to me, all right? So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's everything I need. That you feed me words of truth, words of life, words of encouragement, of hope, words of correction and rebuke. God, it's all there. And so with my hands in front of me, I, like Mary, say, I submit to your word, Jesus. Whatever you want to say to me, I want it. I'm hungry. So speak to me, transform me, renew me. Lord God, have your way in this next few minutes. Speak to me something new and give me eyes to see. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, all the way to the end of the chapter. Here we go. Part of the Christmas story. It's the, the last part of the Christmas story. Now when they had departed, the wise men, behold, an angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and, w- and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, not exceedingly great joy, exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, He shall be called a Nazarene. All right, so this is finishing off the Christmas story. It's not normally the traditional what we always talk about Christmas morning, but this is still finishing off what is considered that Christmas story. And as I was reading and preparing for this, uh, this message this Sunday, I was beginning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I was like, well, God, that's not really like Christmassy. And I had a vision of what I wanted to preach this morning, and, I, and the Lord just kept kind of saying different things. I'm like, but that's not a very Christmassy message. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I, in my own dialogue with the Lord, you know, I, got, I can't be the only one that has conversations in your mind with the Lord, right? That I'm talking to the Lord, he's kind of telling me saying things, and I'm like, I'm trying to instruct him, like, but it might be good to do like this, God. It might be good to make it more Christmassy. And I'm like, okay, I give up. What do you want to do, Lord, right? And so that's part of my prayer is I want us to see what he sees. God sees things so differently than we do sometimes. Isaiah 55 says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts, they're not your thoughts. And so the Lord, I feel like this morning, he has something for somebody this morning, not just me, because I know that God's preaching to me this morning. But I, I feel like there is, as I was preparing, I'm like, 
God really wanted me to say something specific like this for somebody here. So it may not be for everybody. We all get to maybe leave like, oh, that was kind of, kind of a good word. But someone here is getting a very specific word because God has something for you. Uh, that is, he made me change everything. Um, like I said, maybe not super Christmassy. Um, so I, I look back at some of these verses and what the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me is really a lot of direction. And I, I wanted to give a lot of vision and direction starting in January 2nd and start sharing with you guys all of my vision. I have a fresh new vision for the new year and I have all things I want to share with you. And I'm not going to reveal all that today. Um, but I feel like the Lord wants to speak to someone here that's maybe asking some questions about direction, about where to go, how to go, um, making decisions. And I was thinking, well, that's not really Christmas. I want to do this, God. But God's saying there's somebody here who needs some wisdom, who needs to see God's perspective on their own life. And so we're going to look at some of these verses. If you saw here, Joseph kept having dreams. God was speaking to him in different ways, but there was a lot of direction being given. All right, you're in Bethlehem. All right, now go here. Now go here. Do this, do that, do this. And he had to listen to what God was saying. So first thing I want to look at is Matthew 2, verse 13. We read that, but it says, Arise, take the young child, his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. So I'm going to highlight those. I think I have them underlined, right? Flee to Egypt and stay there. So even not even bringing that whole verse into context, I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying these two words. God is saying, flee. It's time to get up and get away. And he's also saying, stay. Stay here. Like, well, which one is it, God? Yes, right? It's all in the same verse. Flee and stay. Which one is it? Should I stay or should I go now? That's, uh, I was born in the 80s. You're stuck with me thinking of 80s songs. Anyone else know that song? Should I stay or should I go now? All right, sorry. Um, Always movies, you always get a movie quote or a song quote from me. Um, I don't try, it's just the way this brain thinks. Um, but should I stay or should I go? And really the Lord, if you read scripture, God is constantly speaking to us today. It's not just he recorded things thousands of years ago for people back then. He actually recorded it for you today. You're making decisions in your life and he knew that. And he said, I'm going to put that in a book so when you read that, you can actually know what to do. And so I love that God's word, sometimes it is confusing. Well, in the same verse, it says flee and stay. Which one is it, God, right? And so I've learned in my walk with the Lord that often when I'm trying to hear from God and I'm reading his word, it comes in context of relationship. I can read scripture and I can get one idea. I can start thinking this and start thinking that. But to actually know what God is saying to me in my own life, it comes in the context of actual relationship, not just information. And so in this, he's saying flee and stay, and we're going to break this down a little bit, because I feel like someone in this room, you need to hear the word flee. And maybe the person next to you needs to hear the word stay. Or maybe you're actually getting both words. There's areas in your life you need to flee, and in other areas you need to stay. And so what is God saying to you? So looking at this, flee, I was thinking about this word. It says, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, abhor what is evil, which is the kind of words we don't use, Cling to what is good. Or maybe in another translation, the message, so that it's easier to understand than that. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Flee from evil and stay where it's good. Oh, maybe that does apply to my life. Maybe I do both at the same time. I flee from what is evil. I feel like the Lord is saying, there's some of us in this room that maybe we came in here, we actually already know there's something going on in our life. There's something that we should be staying away from. 
and I don't have to talk a lot about it. Already, as I just said that, yep, the little radar is going off, like the, the conviction or, you know, right, the little, was it Jimmy, what's the, the cricket in Pinocchio? Jimmy the cricket, already he's starting to like, yep, that's me, I already know, you don't have to say anything else, pastor, there's something going on in my life I need to get away from. Some of us, maybe, we didn't come in here with some deep, dark, secret sin, but the reality is all of us are in a process called sanctification, right? We're all saved. We're all righteous. We're all made holy by God. But there's still things we're working out our salvation. That none of us are perfect, right? We are all working our salvation out. And so the Lord says, before the end of the year, I would love to remind you or highlight some things you need to flee from. So there's, there's some things you need to let go of, get rid of. I, I love the idea of flee because it's not just like walk away from. It's run for dear life, right? Get out of there. I get the picture of um, Joseph. Then remember the story of Joseph? Um, he was in Egypt. That, that word Egypt is in this story. But in Egypt, he's there um, with Potiphar, and he raises up from being a servant to being the top servant. And then Potiphar's wife thinks he's attractive and wants to have a relationship with him. And he's like, I got to get out of here. And she grabs his coat, and right, he flees from evil. And he leaves naked, right? <laughs> get out of here. Like, I don't even need my clothes. I just got to get out of here. That's partly, sometimes we got to do is like, you're not holding on, like, even if you lose everything, it doesn't matter, just get out of there. If you lose all your money, you lose relationships, it doesn't matter, just get out of there. And that's the word of the Lord to somebody, whether you're listening online or you're in the room, the Lord is just trying to make it clear, get out. Don't even try to think about it any longer. Don't, reason and logic will not help you at all. Emotions, don't be led by emotions, don't be led by reason and logic. As Romans 8 says, be led by the Spirit. If you feel that little Jiminy Cricket telling you something and now pastor is saying it and repeating it and had to change his whole message just for you, then it's time to just let go and get out of there as fast as you can. Don't think about it anymore. Just make a decision. Get away. Flee. Um, what was that? I didn't read the other one. That was um, Romans 12, 9 said, cling to, to what's good. Amos, you saw it up there. Amos 5, 14, right? Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. I love the re God even gives you the reason. I've shared this before. My mom taught kindergarten for 30, 40 years maybe. Um, and she would often ask the little four and five-year-olds, she would say, is sin fun? And all the kids would say, no, sin's not fun. And she would say, oh, yes, sin is fun. In the moment, in the moment, it's very fun to steal and get something you really wanted. It's fun in the moment. And then afterwards, all the consequences and all the results of what you did, that's not fun. Right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he packages it so nicely. And God is saying, actually, just run from that so you can live. Life is found in actually fleeing from evil. What if Adam and Eve, the very first sin, what if that serpent came and Adam and Eve said, we're not having a conversation, let's just run, right? Like, I'm not even going to try to reason with this guy. Let's just get out of here, Eve. They would have lived, Right? Sin would have entered the world. And there's so many problems that compound when we don't just leave. When we try to figure it out and we try to stay there. When we're in, I'll just say this. I don't know if this is for somebody or not, but I'm just trying to give you an example. Not even a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. When you just have a friend who's not serving the Lord, and I'm not saying it's wrong to have friends who don't serve the Lord, right? We have to evangelize. We have to disciple. There's all kinds of things. But when they are influencing you, at some point you need to leave that relationship. Talking about my, I had no idea of this radar. I remember my mom made me do that when I was in grade school, in third grade. No, it's fourth grade. 
I had a friend that I started getting closer and closer to and went to his birthday party, went to his house, and we were just kind of hanging out more and more. And then she saw some behavior. I said a bad word. <gasps> Ryan, growing up in Oz neighbor church, said a bad word. And I started having bad attitudes, right? And she's like, what's going on? And then she realized, oh, you're hanging a lot with this guy. And so she said, my mom told me I couldn't be friends with somebody. It's like, Mom, you can't tell me I can't be friends with somebody. Like, that's, that's like, the Bible says to be nice to everybody, to be friendly. And you say, I can't be friends with him? I, was, I remember at eight or nine years old, I, I thought my mom was evil. You are so mean. I can't be friends with another friend. Oh, I, I, would, I did not agree with her, but I had to obey her. And so I had to separate and distance myself. I couldn't go to his house anymore. She told me during recess, go find somebody else to play with. You know, don't be rude and mean to him, but just start choosing better friends. I look now back at that relationship. Yeah, that kid, he dropped out of school, was in gangs, all these other problems. I'm like, thank you, Mom, for having me not hang out with it and stay in that friendship. There are things we should leave and get away from. And it's not because our God in heaven is so mean and doesn't like us to have fun. No, it's so that you can live. He, know, he sees things differently than we see them. We see things and we want, we want comfort. We want what's here right in front of us. And God's saying, actually, I see something better in your future. And if you let go of this, you can have better things. So there's things to let go of. There's things to flee from. But there's also things to stay, right? Simply stay the course. There's no need to do anything else or to try something new. Stay faithful right where you already are. Ooh, sorry, my iPad just glitched out on me. It's coming back. All right, here we go. Um, so Luke 24, 49, talking about staying, it says this. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay until you have been clothed with power from on high. I've got something for you, and it's going to be so good, but you have to stay right where you are. Don't go and do. Don't leave. Stay right where you are. Someone in this room, you need to hear that word, that you're ready to call it quits. You're ready to be done. In fact, that, I'm just being honest with you, that became, I called it a curse word in my family because it, it kept being said, I'm so done with that person. I'm so done with this. I'm so done with that. I was like, no, you're not. No, we're not. We still have to work this out. We still have to figure this out. And so I just called it a curse word. Like, we're not allowed to say the word anymore. Like, because it just, it breeded this bad attitude. And God is saying, no, you're not done. Stay the course. Keep being faithful. Keep being kind. Keep being generous. Keep, keep at it. Keep at it. Stay the course. Yeah, but it's too stormy, and it'd just be so much easier to get off the boat. He's like, no, just stay the course. The word of the Lord to someone this morning is to stay. There's a promise for you. And maybe you've heard that before. You're like, yeah, but it's been years and I'm getting weary staying and waiting for this promise. And God's saying, yeah, but just stay. How much longer, God? Stay. Sometimes he doesn't give you that how long, right? Ask Abram and Sarah. You promised us a newborn child. Ten years go by. We're already 99 years old, God. How much longer? Yeah, just stay the course. Just keep believing. <laughs> I don't like hearing those words. Sometimes I like the words, Right? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? And sometimes God's saying, just stay the course. Yeah, but I don't see you do anything new, God. I know, just, just keep staying. You don't see it, but I see it. You don't see what I see. So stay, 
Stay right where you are. There's a promise. I love that. It, the promise, right, what I read from Luke, we find out in Acts, it's the Holy Spirit. There are gifts, there are promises that you can never obtain unless you stay. There is no other way to get them. I think about the disciples. What if, we've talked about this before, uh, it says there was maybe 120 in the upper room. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was likely in the upper room on that day of Pentecost and received the Holy Spirit. There was um, a lot of other people, but it sounds like there was more, and as they had to wait 40 days, 50 days, Pentecost, 50, right? They had to keep staying there. Well, I'm getting hungry. Well, my family's waiting for me. Well, reason and logic starts to set in. Staying here doesn't make sense. I've lost the love and feeling, so I should probably just leave my marriage. Don't be led by emotions. Don't be led by reason or logic. Stay. Be faithful. This is not a whole message on on marriage, but I'm just using these as examples. There's things I think God is pinpointing some of you in this room. He's saying it's time to stay. I I was thinking about this. Maybe I'll make it more practical, not a marriage. I was not not even half joking, just curiosity, playing with the idea, no seriousness to it whatsoever, but just looking at, Houses here in Los Angeles, the price has gone way up over the last couple of years. And I realized, oh man, my house has almost like doubled in price since I bought it 15 years ago. I was like, I could sell this house and move to another state and pay no mortgage. And I'd have twice the size of house. I'm like, I could be a pastor at another church. I could go work back at AT&T. Like, I just started thinking about all the things that could, like, oh my goodness, financially, it would be so much easier. Politically, that state aligns with my politics a whole lot more than Southern California. I was like, it would be great to get out of here, right? But what's the word of the Lord? Ryan, stay. <laughs> stay in California, right? So I can, I can mount up all kinds of reasons and logic why I should leave. But that doesn't mean I should leave. I can have all kinds of good feelings towards something, but that doesn't mean I should leave. Because I want to be led by the Spirit. I want the promises of God. I don't want what this world has to offer. I don't want to have to sustain good things for my family. If I left, that means now I'm the provider. I do not want to be the provider for my family. Thank God he's the provider for my family. Some of us need to flee. Some of us need to stay. Some of us need to do both. So that was Matthew 2.13. There's some more direction given in Matthew 2 verse 20. The Lord speaks to Joseph again. Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. So arise. Already the angel said this the first time. Arise from Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Now they're in Egypt. Arise, go back to the land of Israel. This word arise. As soon as I read that word, I think of Isaiah 61. Arise and shine, right? For the glory of the Lord has come upon you. I can relate that to Mary, right? She was shadowed by the glory of the highest one, right? Overshadowed and became pregnant and the author of all life came inside of her, right? Some of us, it's time for us to arise, not just wait for God to give us instructions. Should I stay or should I go? Should I do this? And he's saying, actually, just get up. That's another translation. Get up. Stop sleeping. Stop being lazy. Stop waiting for things to get better. Just arise and go and do. 
Yeah, in the New Living Translation, I, uh, this Matthew 2.20, it says, Get up, the angel said, with an exclamation point. Get up! Arise, get up, get going, do something. Stop waiting, go and do. Proactively make something happen. Sometimes it's strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. It's another, sometimes we have to wait. But some of us need to hear a word from the Lord. Stop waiting. Arise, go. I loved, I heard this years ago, and I, I totally agree with it. In the kingdom of God, the light is green unless it's red. Sounds kind of stupid at first, but you think about it. Default in the kingdom of God, the light is green. Go. You want to go on a mission trip? Go for it. You don't have to pray about it. Just go. You want to go to college and get a degree? The answer is yes, go. You want to start a new ministry at Osmond Church? The answer is go, unless it's red. So the idea is you're praying for God to say no to something, not should I go. The answer is, does it do it? Would it bring a good result? The, the, it's a green light. In the kingdom of God, everything is a go. All systems go, go, go. And I feel like God is saying that often to the church. We keep waiting, like, God, should I do, should I share my salvation with this other person or not? Should I evangelize to this stranger? It's like, go, yes, go, 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 go. And, he's, and we keep waiting, well, if God really lays it on my heart, then I'll go. Like, no, the default position is green. Go. And in your going, as you start to make preparations, you start to go, and you hear a red light, you start getting prompts. Hey, hey, slow down. Oh, okay. God is faithful to slow us down. God will tell us to stop. But often, we are being the lazy ones. We are not going and doing. I, I shared really quick. I remember um, giving an example of this. I had been dating Jen. She was my high school sweetheart, not going to the whole story. But we dated for six years before we got married. And after dating for five, over five years, I was asking God, Hey, God, would it be okay if I married my girlfriend of over five years? Would this be an okay thing? And I was like talking to him a lot, praying a lot about it, started fasting, you know, not eating several days go by, no food in this body. I'm like, God, I just, I need an answer from you. And finally, this is kind of what he says, Ryan, do you want to marry Jennifer? I'm like, well, yes. He's like, then marry her already, right? I feel like sometimes that's God. We keep saying, well, God, do you want me to do this or not? And he's like, go, go, just go do it, right? And so that's often, I feel like that's my, maybe that's not you, but that's me. I'm just always waiting for, well, God didn't tell me to do it, so I didn't do it. And he's like, no, just go do it until I tell you not to. Um, so some of us need to hear that. Get up, go, arise. But I love that that word in verse uh, 20, it says, go to the land of Israel. And that, a lot of translation says, go back. Go back to the land of Israel. Go back to where you used to be. Go back to where you came from. Go back to your past. Often I don't like to hear that. I left the past behind. I don't want to drug up all that stuff in the past. That's painful. There's pain back there. There's sorrow back there. Like, I want the fresh and new thing. Like, I remember Mark Coppersmith came to our church, I don't know, 15 years ago when this church was kind of going through some stuff. And he asked the question, who here likes change? And then he was like, crickets, 99% of everybody, nobody raised their hand. I was sitting in the front pew, I'm like, I like change. I like new things. I like changing things up. I like, I, when I was a kid, I remember, I'm talking a lot about my mom this morning. I don't know if she must be listening this morning. Um, I remember my mom gave me a green light that I never had to ask permission. If I wanted to rearrange the furniture in the house, I could rearrange the furniture in the house. So often my mom and dad were gone on a date or doing something. 
I would go in the living room and I would move the TV and plug it on the other side of the wall and I would move the chairs and couches all around. And so when they came home, like, whoa, everything got rearranged. And they were gracious enough to leave it that way for a few days. And they're like, okay, this is not working right. Put it all back, right? Um, but the idea is I just love, since a little kid, I love changing things up. I love like, ah, oh, it, it feels like a completely different house when you rearrange the furniture. I love all of that. Why am I saying all that? Because sometimes God is saying, go back. I'm like, no, I want to go forward. But the word was go back. Hmm. <laughs> Thinking about this, I saw this meme. The moment you realize the year 2022 could be said with the word T-O-O, not T-W-O. Like 2020 also. Like 2020 again. Like 2020 version 2. 2022, and we're all shaking our head like, no, I don't want to go back to 2020, right? Like, I don't, the moment you realize, oh, no, 2022 means we're a do-over, I don't want to go back to 2020, right? I don't. I don't want to go back to 2020, right? We had family members that passed away from cancer. We had family here at church that passed away. It was a rough year. We didn't get to see each other for a long time, right? I got to preach in this pulpit with nobody else in the room. I don't want to go back to that. Right? There's so many different things where 2020 we say, I ain't going back there. But I feel like the word of the Lord is, he wants us to actually go back to things we don't want to go back to. With a renewed mind. With a new outlook. With new vision. With a fresh perspective. Not going back the same way we were the last time. But we're going back equipped. We're going back seeing things the way he sees. Because we're not the same. We've actually grown. We've matured. We're not the, we're, I'm not who I was back in 2020. I've come through a lot. I'm, I'm, I don't really say, I, I'm not as fearful. I'm not as this. I, I'm not holding on to people matter to me more than convictions, right? Cell phones ringing in the middle of sanctuary doesn't bother me anymore. Um, <laughs> all those things, right? There's things that I feel like the Lord is saying, go back. That's, that's a word for somebody. Again, I feel like the Lord is, is just kind of pinpointing different people in the room. And if we have ears to hear, he's speaking to somebody. He wants you to go back. And you're like, no, I'm never going back to that. And God's saying, yeah, that's the word of the Lord to you. Go back. I remember uh, we prayed for missionaries every Sunday. Dolphus Weary um, with Real uh, Fellowship. I remember he came back and he wrote a book. What was the name of his book? I Ain't Never Going Back. I ain't never going back um, because it fits perfectly with Hallmark Christmas movie, right? It's either the guy or the girl grew up in the quaint old hometown, right? And says, I got to get out of here and go to New York or the big city, right? I ain't never going back to that small town, right? And for some reason... Hallmark always says they have to go back for some reason during Christmas time and they see their oh, high school sweetheart and then they fall in love, right? No, I'm never coming back to this place, but they get drawn back. There's something about it, right? The Lord is saying to some of you, you feel this way. You're thinking this way. I'm never going back to that thing. And the Lord's saying, well, what about what I say? Are you only going to do what you feel like, what you think like, how you see things? Or you do see things the way I see them. Hmm. I was thinking about the story of Joseph and Mary. Again, this is projection. I'm not saying this is the truth. 
But I do this often. I tell my kids Bible stories. I just kind of detail and do my own little detour and give my own details. Um, so I was thinking about this. Mary and Joseph. It's possible that, well, we know they both were born in Nazareth, right? Joseph and Mary, that's where they're from. And she gets pregnant before they get married, right? The whole town recognizes this, right? And so there could be some bad blood. There could be some things where they're made fun of, they're looked down upon. Um, they just want to get out of the town. And so they leave, right? They go to Bethlehem where there's other family, but they're starting a new life. They're leaving Nazareth to get out of that small town, to go to Bethlehem because that's the city of David. They know that's where their son has been prophesied to be the son of David. So they're like, all systems, everything points we're out of Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? Like, let's go to Bethlehem. That's the city of David. It's closer to the temple. It's just going to make sense to raise the son of, right, son of God closer to the temple. All these things just makes, it all makes logical sense. It feels better to get out of that town where they're looked upon. They have a fresh new start, right? So they're in Bethlehem. We don't know. This is just projection that when the wise men showed up, they showed up to a house, not to a stable, that Joseph maybe had built a brand new house. He's a carpenter. They just got it fixed all the way they like it. They've been living there for maybe two years now. Oh, life is good now, right? First nine months was bad. When they first got to Bethlehem, they weren't accepted. But now things are just starting to, there's finally a fresh, healthy groove. Things are making sense. Things are working. The wise men showed up. They actually got finances. They got gold. Things are looking on the up and up, right? Like, oh, things are going great here in Bethlehem. And then the Lord says, all right, flee to Egypt. What? Like, we just settled here. Like, we just bought this house. Like, everything is looking good right now, God. Yeah, it's time to go. Oh. So they go down to Egypt, right? And they get this word. All right, go back. So like, oh, finally. I mean, while they're in Egypt, they knew it was temporary. Like, they knew they were not going to set up shop in Egypt for a long time. They knew that going into it. Like, we're just here temporary, so everything was temporary. They finally get the word, go back. Oh, we get to go back to the promised land. We're going back to Bethlehem. Going back to where we built our house. We got a brand new business. Everything's going right. And then, if you keep reading the story, that was verse, what, 20? Then Matthew 2.22 says this. Joseph was afraid to go back. Then he had another dream from God, instructing him instead to turn aside to the region of Galilee. Wait a second. God's saying, wait, I can't go back to Bethlehem? I have to go back to Nazareth? I have to go all the way back home? Where they make fun of us? Or where the outcasts? Oh, God, No. Like, we did everything you said. We left Nazareth. We came to Bethlehem. Like, all the prophecies were being fulfilled when we were in Bethlehem. And then we, we, we listened. Even if we didn't want to, we did the right thing. We went to Egypt. And then you said to go back to the promised land. So, like, that was your promise. And now we're on our way back to Bethlehem. And now you're saying, no, go back to Nazareth? I don't want to go back there. It doesn't make sense. Again, all the logic and reason. It doesn't make sense, God. Why would you have us do that? Maybe that's the third word. Not leave, stay, go, but he turned aside. Instead, Joseph turned aside. He turned aside. Some of us, maybe it's not about physically going all these different places, right? Leaving California, getting out of here. Not about that. It's about things that we're holding on to, promises that 
we are saying for ourselves that God never promised us. Or maybe dreams and things that we just came up on our own and God said, that was never my dream for your life. Are you willing to turn aside? And I, I know God's timing is always perfect. Because I know, I just look at my own life. I know that when I was a kid singing little Christmas songs up here at 10 years old, if God would have told me then that in the year 2020, 2021, I would be the head pastor of the church, I'd be like, you're crazy, I'm out. Like, mom and dad, let's find another church. Like, I'm not going to Bible college. Like, I am not. Like, that is not, I don't want that. I don't want that. But God has perfect timing in the things that he reveals to us. Sometimes he sees things we don't see and his timing is perfect. See, I'm, I'm thinking about even my own life. I wasn't going to share all this, but I just thought about it right now. Before I became the youth pastor, before I became a leader at this church, I grew up in this church, and before I took on leadership, I was ready to start checking out other churches. I was ready to go. I told Jen, it's like, you, you became a Christian at this church, and you've only ever known this church. Like, let's go see how other churches do things. Like, let's go explore. And like, it sounded good. It sounded like a good thing to do. But God knew what he was doing. At that point, if he would have told me, oh, no, you're going to be the lead pastor of the church, don't go, I'd be like, we are for sure leaving. Like, we are not staying here. But in his timing, he knew when to say, stay, Ryan, stay. All right, Ryan, it's time to go. All right, Ryan, I know you're going. Now it's time to turn aside. Keep going, but actually stop right now. Pause and turn aside. When I heard that word aside. I think about Moses, Right? Moses grew up in Egypt. He got the prophetic word. He knew he was supposed to be the deliverer. He tried it in his own way, right? He killed an Egyptian, and he had to leave, flee, run from his life, leave Egypt, flee from Egypt. But one day, he turned aside. He saw a burning bush, and he turned aside. He was on his way back home from shepherding. He turned aside and had this incredible encounter with the Lord. And everything in his life changed. And in that moment, he's saying, no, God, you, 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 you picked the, 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 wrong, the wrong person. Like, I, I stutter. Like, I can't speak to Pharaoh. I can't do all these things, right? And he gave a list to God. I can't, I can't, I can't. Wrong person, wrong person, wrong person. And God's like, no, I chose you. And now is the time. Because you turned aside. It might have been God was ready 40 years before. But Moses had never turned aside. He tried doing things his own way. It didn't work. Well, now I'm just forget it. I'm not going to do any of this. But the moment he actually turned aside and actually got God's perspective, I'll go back. I'll go back where I don't ever want to go back. I'll go back into the calling you have in my life that I let go of, that I didn't want. I'll go back. I'll go back and do it your way, not my way. Just that word aside, you know, I was thinking about Samuel, the boy, Samuel. He grew up in the temple, and it says that he didn't know the word of the Lord. And it says that their visions and the word of the Lord were rare in those days. And as a little kid, he's in there, and he knows Eli, the head priest. It's like his dad, adopted dad. And uh, as he's laying down to go to sleep, you know the story, right? He hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up, and he runs to Eli. Yes, Eli, I'm here. What do you want? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. All right. Goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. Runs back to Eli. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Three times, right? Finally, Eli's like, oh, maybe it's the Lord. 
instead of doing the same thing over and over again, this time turn aside and say, yes, Lord, your servant, I'm listening. Whatever you say, whatever you want, I'll do it your way. Oh, things change in Samuel's life. He actually got a hard word. He got a word that Eli's sons were going to die and that he's going to die pretty quick and the glory of God was going to leave Israel. That's his first word? Like, God, come on, like, give the kid a break. And then, he, then Eli comes, all right, tell me what he said. Uh, it was that kind of a personal message. Like, if you don't tell me, Samuel, you know, like, he's harsh. Like, all right, I'll tell you. Your kids are about to die, and you're going to die, and the glory of God is going to leave Israel. Thanks, right? I wish I could promise you that everything's just going to go your way, and everything's going to be easy. If you just listen to the Lord, oh, everything will just be easy. That's not promised either. But it will be good. Look at Samuel's life. He, he holds the only one that was, if I can remember right, he's a priest, a prophet, and a judge. He's the only one that held all three titles. In the book of Judges, he was a judge. He ruled, he was like the king. He ruled everything, but he also was a prophet and a priest. There's things that it doesn't promise everything's going to go easy, but if you listen and you actually do it God's way, you stay, you go, you flee, you turn aside, you arise, you do what he says, and when he says it, oh, life is so enjoyable. I was thinking about this. I wrote this out. I don't know if I'll read it or if I'll just try to say something, but I was looking at Mary's life. And we can look at things from two different ways. Do you see what I see? So I'll read some of this. I'll, 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 actually, I read this quote before I read this. The true test of your Christian faith is when you don't understand at all and still trust God. A good litmus test of your relationship with God is when you look at your life, when you see the circumstance, when you see the trial, the difficulty, and you don't see anything good. But you look at God and you say, but I see that you are good. I don't see good here, but I see that you are good. And I will keep my eyes on your goodness. And I'll keep proclaiming, you are good, you are good, you are good. You're perfect in all your ways. Can I tell you, I don't want to keep bringing up the past, but in 2020, grieving my sister's death, that was a song I kept singing over and over again. You are good, you're perfect in all your ways. I don't see how this is good. I, I cannot figure out how, why God would allow that tragedy to happen in our family's life. I can't make sense of it. I can't see the good in it, but God, I will keep proclaiming that you are good and you are perfect in all your ways. I don't have to, see, I don't have to understand, but I can trust you. So looking at Mary's life, do you see what I see? I see a highly favored girl who is told that with God, nothing will be impossible. But I see that same highly favored girl first rejected by her fiance. I see a highly favored girl travel at nine months pregnant to arrive at her destination and see family and not be accepted and not be allowed inside the house. I see a highly favored girl have to give birth to her firstborn, chi firstborn child with no family, no mom, no midwife, in a lowly stable. I see this highly favored girl, as soon as her child is born, a wicked king try to kill it. 
I see this highly favored girl have to flee as a refugee into a foreign country and leave her promised land. I see the highly favored girl that is poor and barely has enough ends to make enough, uh, barely has enough money to make ends meet. I see a highly favored girl whose husband dies at a young age. I see a highly favored girl have her son be misunderstood and rejected by religious leaders, political leaders, strangers, even his best friends, and even her own children reject him. I see this highly favored girl watch her son be beat and whipped and nailed to a cross right in front of her. How can this be a highly favored life? Was God lying to her? Is this what favor from God looks like? If this is all you can see in Mary's life, then you don't see what I see. Do you see what I see? I see a humble girl living in obscurity be chosen, exalted to a place of honor. I see a receptive, willing girl have the Holy Spirit overshadow her and be filled with the author and source of all life. I see a teenage girl who, being imperfect, gave birth to a perfect baby. I see who mom, who thought and felt alone, be visited by a family of shepherds who came and brought food and comfort and encouraged her. I see a housewife who prayed for her husband to find work, be visited by wealthy strangers who gave gold and royal gifts that would sustain them for years. I see a mom of a teenage boy who listened to her, obeyed her, and honored her perfectly every single day. That's highly favored. I see a widow whose son brought her under her wing and would turn water into wine just to make her happy. I see a broken-hearted mom witness her son's death become the greatest victory ever won. I see a humble girl living in obscurity that nobody knew become the most honored and most revered and most famous woman to ever live. Do you see what I see? When you look at your life, do you see what God sees? So as the worship team comes up to wrap up the service. A lot of this morning's message was about direction and vision and making decisions. But more than anything about making decisions, I feel like the Lord wants to end this service with some of you knowing who you really are. You read a story about Mary being called highly favored and blessed among all women. You have a pastor behind the pulpit says almost every Sunday, I'm God's favorite. And I have no shame. Because I didn't make that up. I actually heard God speak to me in the quiet place what he thinks about me. Some of you, some of your favorite verses, right? One of the most quoted as famous verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, or I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. He thinks about you every day. The Lord is thinking about you. And I'd love for you, just as we close the service, if you just, can you just close your eyes, just in a sense of just not being distracted? I feel like the Holy Spirit can be saying tons of different things this morning. But my heart's cry more than anything, I would love for us just to take a moment 
and ask the Holy Spirit, Jesus, when you look at my life, what do you see? I know what I see. I can list all kinds of things that I see. But I want to see what you see. So like Mary in this very moment, God, I, I yield myself and I brace myself to listen. For you to speak and let it be done to me according to your word. What do you say when you see me? Just, we're going to take a, a moment just to be quiet, to be still before the Lord. And Lord, I just ask, would you speak your words of truth, your words of life? God, I, I need to know what you think about me. I don't just need to know what decision to make. I need to know who I really am. I'm willing to hear whatever you want to say. If you want to correct and rebuke me, so be it. If you want to love on me and encourage me, so be it. could look up at me I want to say this in a way that's not generic but it's specifically for you the Lord sees you he sees all of you he knows your hearts better than you even know your own hearts and he loves you with an everlasting love there is nothing that you could do to make him not love you There's nothing you could do to separate yourself from his love. He doesn't love you because he has to. He actually likes you. As I watch these young kids sing up here today, I felt the Lord's pleasure. Not just over them, but over myself because I was actually ridiculing myself that my thoughts were all over the place during worship. I was like, God, I didn't give you the worship you deserve. God, my mind was all over here. Oh. And I was condemning myself. And the Lord said, would you stop seeing yourself that way, Ryan? Just as you saw those little kids smiling, raising their hands, just copying what Auntie Jenny girl said and whatever. That's how I see you. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to do it all at the right time and have it all unfigured out. I just enjoy watching you as like a little kid. The Lord's saying that to you today. I actually find joy leaning over in heaven, looking down on earth and observing your life. Watching you live life brings me joy. There's nothing he would rather do than just look at you. To look full in your wonderful face. No matter what decisions you've made wrong, he doesn't care. It's you that he wants. 
So as we stand and sing this last worship song, if you need prayer for anything, prayer for direction, maybe the Lord was pointing things out and you just need some more confirmation, a word of the Lord, I believe there are leaders up here that can give you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. You need something to make a decision, there's wisdom up here. Come get prayer. You need healing. You need comfort. Come get some prayer. But would you worship the Lord knowing who you are and whose you are? So if I got the leaders come forward, and let's sing this last one worship song.